Hi, I'm June Moon. Uh, I'm here and I'm very happy to be here because I was the founding president 40 years ago of Amp Records. So, yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's, it's really exciting to, um, to have been part of something that lasted that long, almost as long as me. But uh, what I do now is I'm a digital aggregator for uh, all the digital platforms. That means I'm licensed to load directly iTunes, Spotify, um, so, uh, let's, let's again go down the line here and tell us about what your involvement in AMP Records was and, uh, if you, and kind of why you chose to get involved in AMP. I um, came here back in, I believe it was 82, and that should be 40 years ago, right? And uh, I was recruited by Erwin Steinberg, who at that time was had just retired as the chairman of Polygram, and Chuck Suber. And Chuck Suber was, uh, had just retired as the uh, managing um, founding editor for, Bill, for Downbeat Magazine. And I knew them both from being in the record industry. I'd been in there, I was a musician for um, a great deal of my life, and then I got into the business, and uh, I met Steinberg because I recorded, uh, I had a couple of acts that I recorded on Mercury, which was one of the labels that he controlled. And um, they, uh, I was also a student regularly at Columbia. Um, I told in my interview, I was an on-off student. I was an old student as a, um, in other words, it took me about 10 years to get out of college because I didn't go straight through. I was on the road as a musician. And then when I got into the music business, I was stationed, actually I lived in, and LA and New York off and on. So I would come and go to school when I was in town. And so this was a, um, back then, I don't know if they still have it, this was a, a, a easy way to facilitate me finishing my bachelor's degree at that time because they had what you call life experience. So my deal was that I would help set up and run Amp Records and I would get credit for it. And uh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, I, I wonder what's going on now, because back then, we were the first company, first school in the country that had a program like yep. this. And now, I know Cloud Davis has a school in New York, and there are a lot of programs. I know Miami had, uh, had started, I think Miami was second after we did it. And, but they had, we were the model for all of these colleges now that have these um, music business programs. So again, um, it, it's great to see you all here. You have a wonderful opportunity um, to learn and do so much from just what's happening here. And um, as I said, I'm, that's what brought me here and um, I'm just very happy to be back. Very cool. Thank you, Jim. And yeah, it's interesting you brought up Erwin Steinberg, who uh, he was chairperson of Polygram Records, which a lot of you may not know what that is, but that was a major label oh, yeah. up until it was finally absorbed in maybe the 90s, yeah. I would say. Yeah. But it was one of the biggest labels on the planet. And the chairperson uh, taught here, he was one of my mentors, and we co-authored the music industry textbook. Like right when I was getting out of grad school yeah. as well, so that's uh, great. So June, what do you think? How do you think you were already well into your career? It sounds like at the time when you were doing AMP, and 
tell us how it further uh, you know strengthened your skill set and uh, helped you move forward. Well, um, in in a lot of ways, I was in school too, and what happened was that as happens in a lot of cases where you think you know everything and you think you've done everything, when you get before people who haven't had that experience and you have to basically break it down, what you've done to relate to them, it's very, um, <clears throat> it's very humbling but great experience because then I had to diagnose, did I really know what I was talking about and did I really know how to do that? What I loved about this experience at AMP, which I, uh, it sounds like it's still going on, is that, you know, in the business, and I'm still working in the business, uh, you have so many people who jump over 10 or 20 steps because of digital technology, because of the era that we live in. It's easy, you know, you got a computer, you can make the music, you got all these platforms and, you know, these companies, um, CD Baby and what have you, and um, so it, it seems like, and it is, it's relatively simple to get a foothold in the door. But what happens here and what happens from back then is the real world. Um, and because you haven't experienced that necessarily yet, it's good to have the people that can usher that information to you, which we had back then, like I said, to have Steinberg and, and, and Suber you know, these guys were just like they were, you couldn't go any higher than that. Um, so I got a lot of information and a lot of education from my students. Um, I used to give them assignments. Um, um, back then, uh, South by Southwest didn't exist. We had Medium. So the big sure. thing was to, and I think we did send, well, me and a couple of teachers would always go. Um, that's where, that was the South by Southwest. You had to go way to the South of France mm -hmm. to experience something like you have here in Texas. Um, but I, again, I learned how um, it's not as easy as it looks. And what hopefully you'll learn is that it really isn't as easy as it looks. You still, the industry hasn't changed. The formats have, but the basic principles of how, what, and where you do what you do for yourself and your artists. It hasn't changed. And what I saw back then was that, okay, it was my responsibility to convey my experience to these young people. And we had, everybody wasn't old. We had some people in there, I mean, wasn't young. We had some, some, some uh, veterans in there in, in the classes because I taught grad and undergrad. Because back then you didn't have a graduate department. Mm -hmm. uh, I think when you came in, that's when that kind of started. We had a graduate department, but not for AMP. Okay. And um, so I taught a lot of those classes as well. But I got, uh, I got the information and I got an understanding from the students about literally what I was doing, okay? And how it impacted them uh, as students, but as more so consumers. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? So on our end, we think we know what we're doing. We're pushing buttons, we're pushing envelopes. We're doing the charts and what all this, but how that's impacting the consumer, people in the industry don't necessarily really understand that. We're just doing methodologies of what we were told and learned. You have opportunity here to learn why you do what you do and the impact of what you do on 
the artist as well as some of the consumer. So, and I think that's great about, I think that we in an age with the digital technology, that it's, it's, it's incredible. But lately I've been even having to retool because of the whole playlist thing now, which is equivalent to the charts. Sure. You know, it's, 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 and I said, wow, this is just like Billboard charts. You know, only you can't really, you know, you can, you can buy playlists, but you know, in the old days it was all about, anybody know what payola means? Wow, <laughs> I really dated myself. In the old days, it was about payola. It was about pay to play. So you could literally, as an artist, a manager, or an agent, you could pay your way to the top. You all don't have that opportunity anymore because now you got to really work and know what the hell you're doing to really make it happen. There's no such thing as chance. I don't believe it. I haven't seen it. I got five gold and six platinum albums from working with artists. Never by chance. You got to know what the hell you're doing. You got to understand your consumer. And so that's, I, that's what I got. I got an education from my students, Justin. Excellent. And so just you alluded to this previously, uh, June uh, was at the forefront also of distributing music oh. through uh, digital music services like Apple, like Spotify, et cetera, and you're still doing that, I'm, right? I'm still doing that. I'm the, I was the first um, wave, me and a guy also from Chicago, um, CD Baby, what was his name? I don't remember, yeah, yeah. I know you were talking about. He was, all, he was here all the time. Yeah. He spoke here all the time. He yeah. started CD Baby, and um, so yeah, we were the first wave. There was no yeah. iTunes, and that first in in induction of independence, I was part of that. That's what. That's how you and I became yes. friends because I started yes. one of the first ones yes. as well. Yes. And we traded notes yes. and well, you were, you set were, up our spreadsheets. Yeah, and you and were over there by the train. You were over there. Yeah, Ravenswood. Yeah, Ravenswood. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And so I think that who in here is in our digital media strategies crew in our class? Yeah. Welcome. Thanks for making it today. So just so you know, you should talk to June and talk about how. I know that uh, my colleague Clayton uh, is bringing in some new, uh, uh, some traditional digital marketing, if that's such a thing, but also some new platforms like Web3, blockchain, uh, NFTs, et cetera. And what we're seeing is kind of the genesis of this new Web3 distribution of content that's very similar to what June and I worked on at the beginning of uh, digital distribution of content as well. So I think that's... I just got a... I just literally, while I was eating a uh, snack over there, got an email from iTunes stating how now they want us to use ISNI numbers. Anybody know what that is? International Standard something something. So whereas UPC codes were the standard, now they want us to use ISNI codes. And I, I, I'm sitting over there just scratching my head, and then all of a sudden it said, a light bulb went off, NFTs. So they're gonna switch from UPC codes after a little while and go to ISNI codes, which they want us to use now. And I'm sure that's, because ISNI codes are used for money, banks and investment firms, that's what they use to track and, and secure their money. So. How does that relate to us in the music industry? Well, NFTs, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency. That's where we are. 
And that's where the industry is going. So that's what I'm thinking. I just made this stuff up myself, but. Absolutely, I think you're right. And so obviously there's a big correction in the crypto market happening right now. There's Absolutely. a big crypto, or there's a big correction in all the economy right now. Absolutely. But same thing happened in the digital landscape background too. Uh, June, do you wanna talk about uh, a couple highlights from your, your work in AMP? Uh, things that come to mind? Yeah. Um, again, it was, it was working with the students and being, being um, what, what I did mostly was we didn't have books um, to the chagrin of the, 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 the school because, of course, it's a revenue generator for you to go buy the books. And we didn't have a book um, back then. I don't know, did anybody have a book in the, uh, maybe some of the accounting There There's a few. I mean, Columbia has well, some books. No, this some, business, uh, yeah. uh, part two, and that yeah. Donna Parsons book about the music business. Okay. But what I had my um, people do was every week, this is grad and undergrad, but really graduates, um, they had to rebuild. Uh, it was available in the library as well as um, you could find it. I mean, it was in the AMP office. They had to find uh, an article of interest to them relevant to whatever subject matter we were talking about. If we were talking about um, advances or royalty rates, and they had to do a paper on it every week. And it was very, very interesting to see what people would come back with, and you couldn't bullshit it. It had to be, you couldn't do a, a cut and paste analysis of whatever you were reading. You had to make it relevant to what you were doing. So you had to transfer whatever happened to that person or that incident in Billboard, you had to make it relevant to what you were trying to do and break it down. So, and to my amazement back then, I mean, it was to me just a, a time waster to make sure that my students had something to do for five, seven days. And, um, but they would come back with all this interesting shit that I had never thought about. You know, that was outside. I was the industry guy, but they would come back with points of view from, again, consumer slash wannabe and how it should have been for them. And guess what? In a lot of cases, that's how it is now. So the highlight, Justin, was that I saw these, I saw what I saw 40 years ago uh, come to fruition because we had many students from there. Um, one of my favorite ones was um, um, Jesus, he runs, um, he runs Interscope. What's his name? Um, pardon me? Uh, I hear you talking about, I can't think of his name. Yeah, yeah. So that's, Gary Nelson. Yeah. Yes. Um, he runs Interscope. Uh, I had another student that was um, that runs a talent agency. He, uh, he works for um, CAA out in LA. So to see, and, and the biggest thing, I mean, it wasn't the money that while we were here, <laughs> okay, not at all. But the biggest payoff and the reward that I got was to see these people succeed and taking full egotistical advantage that I helped and um, so again, I, I always go back in to, 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 the, to the students, you know? I mean, you're here for a reason. Uh, even if you're on scholarship, somebody's paying money for you. Um, and 
it's so much information that you can get from here that people don't have out there, you know, and, and, and they have to get it by rope. They have to get it by chance. I'm talking about managers. And I'm talking about industry executives. What, it's really hard to become an industry executive if you don't know what you're doing, especially in the age of digital. You've got to have some information. You've got to understand analytics. You can't understand analytics if you don't know math, okay? You just can't do it. You gotta know how to use emotional intelligence. Now, that's a thing that came, wasn't taught in the program when I was here, but the psychology of dealing with people, collaboration, working with artists, working with agents, working with vendors, working with coming home that night if you get home, being able to work with your family to let them understand what you've been doing all this time. So uh, emotional intelligence is extremely important in this business. Why? Because that's what we do. We convey our thoughts, emotions, and everything through music, which is a universal language. But at the end of the day, if you don't know how to talk to somebody, if you don't know how to collaborate with somebody, you ain't gonna get nowhere. That's great. Yeah, we actually talked about emotional intelligence in my self-management and freelancing class, and also we learned about it a lot in our leadership class, if anybody is taking leadership. So that's, that's a great point. June, uh, how do you think uh, these folks can leverage their experience here? I think, going back to the theme of emotional intelligence, that everyone has to become schizophrenic. So you have to understand. We don't teach that. Right. <laughs> you have to understand that right now you should be learning the business of music. Obviously, there have been books written about it, but there's a business of music. And right now it's become extremely um, diluted with technology and with uh, math and, and analytics and all these things. And then there's the creative part. So you got to maintain that business part and the schizophrenia comes in is that never the twain need to meet in front of an artist because I'll do respect I, t I, I told someone the other day they wanted to go they wanted me to introduce them to some record executive so they could talk about a deal and this was an artist a very intelligent kind person but we don't never want to talk to artists that's, you can't do that. Because the, what is it, the right brain is dominated with them. And we may love it and da da. I mean, there, I, I, so many deals that I was a part of in the day that, you know, the poor artist just didn't have a clue. Very extremely talented. Had all the chutzpah in the world they thought to make it happen. But it really happens on the business side, I'm sorry. You don't, it doesn't necessarily mean, it, it means a lot that you can sing, but we all know there are a whole bunch of people with a whole bunch of hits, a whole bunch of likes, a whole bunch of downloads and streams that can't sing worth crap and can't perform worth crap. Because it's, it's a business. And if you drop enough money and if you drop enough ingenuity behind a monkey, you can make it happen. So, I think that you gotta just learn as much as you can 
especially now. I'm going back to school every day. You know, now I got to learn about the ISNI numbers. You know, I'm like, oh, shit, come on, give me a break. It was bad enough with the UPC codes and sure. how to register all that stuff. But you got to learn the stuff. You got to learn the business. And now you got to learn and understand technology. I'm not just talking about you, social media and YouTube. What's behind, you'd be amazed at what's behind these engines. And these corporations make billions of dollars a week sucking up not the music but the data you gotta understand that this is all about data music just happens to be an incredible driver for emotions and out of emotions they suck in the data so you gotta understand that and then here comes the schizophrenia you gotta understand it then leave it the hell alone but you'll see it rear its head and then when it rears its head You'll understand and you'll be able to protect your product, you'll be able to protect your artists and whatever from what could be a bad situation. So. Great. I, I, that's I, another excellent point. And that's something I think Columbia is really, that's our value proposition. That's our real strength is we don't shy away from the business aspect of art. Whereas I think some other oh, yeah. uh, programs and schools maybe do a little bit more want to they want to keep art pure, but I, I don't know about you, but I want to keep my art pure-ish, and I want to make a living off of it Absolutely. so I don't have to get a real job, right? Absolutely. So, <laughs> um, so I think that we're really good here at Columbia about uh, marrying the two, uh, the practical business side and the creative side, and that's something we really emphasize here at Columbia, and again, that's some of our great strengths. Uh, general question, what should people, uh, Understand about the consumer. Everything, and everything generally is wrapped up in somebody's data. Um, so, again, it goes just so goes back to the importance of understanding analytics. It, it's so easy now to understand our consumer and the people that we're targeting. Um, it used to be we we thought we knew where these people were because of what they went, where they went, what concerts they went to, and blah, blah, blah. But it, as it is now, all that stuff is found online because those people aren't necessarily always going out. They're streaming this stuff. So, and it's really easy for us to get that information on this side of the screen just by looking at the views. It just goes back again to understanding that this is a business. So we just gotta understand that the consumer is very complicated, but technology has simplified them, and we just have to learn methodologies and understand the emotional intelligence of the people, the audience that we're trying to reach. Perfect, yeah, you're, you know, we're now able to track what every single user, listener, fan, uh, consumer, is what they're browsing, what they're shopping for, what, um, you know, all of their demographics, psychographics, all of those things. We can we can track all that, and then it's all about using that data to then uh, 
sell more tickets, to uh, sell more merchandise, to sign the right artists. Uh, the, the question, just to reiterate for our online audience, because they, they probably couldn't hear that, is what is the role of the record label with the, basically the new paradigm of artists wanting to own their, uh, their own music, and then with uh, NFTs coming into play, just this new, this, this new shift as, as technology pushes us forward, uh, is that characterizing it? Well, uh, thoughts on that? I think that the role is what it always has been. The labels have always been finance companies, and they will remain finance companies, especially in the role of now NFTs. So if you want to do NFTs with your music, that's fine. So you're going to need somebody to, as I said, I just got a, just got an email from iTunes telling me that they want us to start using ISNI. After I looked it up and found out what it was, you know, now I got to figure out how do I get one. I mean, hundreds, I got a lot of catalog. So, you know, that, that's a job for a manager or that's a job for an agent. And uh, the record label's job is that they got the money to finance. I don't care how technology has, and it has caused a lot of changes, but still, at the end of the day, somebody's got to drop some nickels and dimes and dollars to, to get the product to where you may want it. And that's going to be a compromise, and that's going to be a, uh, a give and take. I mean, nothing's free. So, you know, you may want to own the rights well. Good luck with that. You, then you got to bankroll the rights, okay? <laughs> you know, it's like somebody, you know, you're booking a band and they want all the gate. Yeah, ain't gonna happen, okay? So the label of the, the, the labels and the companies, they will remain um, finance companies, recoupable finance companies. That's interesting. Yes, I guess that's true because uh, I myself have a couple labels, and but I have a bunch of creative work that I'm doing and I actually just signed the rights to two of my bands to a, uh, a company called Numero Group. Uh, it reissues a lot of older music because I don't have the time and the money and the relationships to make a vinyl box set of my music from the 90s. But they, they have that whole you know, infrastructure in place to do that. Same thing. So they're, again, even though you know, I'm here moderating this panel and teaching class tonight. I don't have time to work with my bandmates from however long that was ago to, to put together a box set of music. So they're staking us with some money and they have a whole team doing that. So that's interesting. And actually my wife is an artist manager, graduate of Columbia, by the way. And she, she uh, manages a lot of actors and writers of television and film, and they produce television and film together. And same thing, she, she's knocking out the business stuff. She's looking over the agents, the lawyers, all that stuff. So they can be creative, yeah. and they can write these TV shows and these films and things like that. So Can I drop in something real quick? How many of you have noticed, you know anything about how publishing companies now are buying up everybody's catalog? You seen that? You wonder why? Everyone needs money. <laughs> the artists she, are running out of money. That's, she just said everybody needs money. I mean, the whole thing, this is not only the United States, the United States of the world. Everything's fueled by money. So now these publishing companies are taking on a role that they never did before. They're buying up these catalogs, which gives the artists an influx of writers, 
an influx of cash to do whatever they think they want to do, but they're giving up the rights to the catalog. Great point. Actually, my stepmom is a professional songwriter, and it's she's from back in the '80s. She wrote a bunch of number one country songs. It ain't that far back, Justin. I'm from the '80s. Back, <laughs> <laughs> she's back in the '80s. I am from the I'm '80s. She uh, had the opportunity to, uh, you know, gain control of her yeah. of her music, and due to the reversion clauses and stuff yeah. that were happening, she decided not to do that because she just gets this mailbox money. That just comes in, and so it is Warner Brothers that just collects the money and sends her money all the time, and she doesn't have to worry about it. Yeah, they get a cut of it, but for her, it's worth it. She's cool in Florida, just chilling in the villages, playing golf. So uh, instead of trying to put, you know, monetize this song, so that's a, that's that's a great one. Great question. Great question. Yeah. Awesome. My name is Valerie. Um, my question is, you mentioned that artists should also uh, develop business part of the mindset strongly, but how is it more beneficial than just collaborating with people who is business focused and you stay on your creative part? Great question. So, uh, so say that one more time so we can answer that. So how is it more beneficial for an artist mm -hmm. to also think about the business side uh, than just collaborate with people who are focusing on business and artists but uh, on creating an art being like, you know, all of this? Got it. Because, yeah, that's a great question. So the question is, how, why should artists know the business side, right, and not just rely on, on other managers and other business folks to do that for them? And that's a great question. How many artists do we have in the audience that are also learning the business side? Okay, great. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a lot of folks here. So anybody want to respond to you? Why should artists know about business? I'd say in my experience, it's, it's good to know some of the business, but it's also what we've talked about before. The more you get your hands ingrained in the business, the less time you have for creativity. It gets in the way. At a certain point, there's a reason people like us have jobs on the management side because we're there thinking about the numbers, we're there thinking about the tour schedules and the publishing and the masters and all of this stuff that we can take off your hands. So the moment thing you are blocked on the creativity side, that we who have people in that side to kind of get it off your plate and take it out of the way and make sure things are handled correctly. I think it's important to know enough about it so you can understand and speak the language, but I also think it's super important to have a team around you that you trust, that you know you can say, hey, this is the direction I wanna go. I understand this, explain it to me, but I also wanna make sure that you can take this and run with it um, with my direction kind of a thing, or else you're gonna get bogged down. I mean, the amount of meetings and phone calls and paperwork and lawyers, the, the contracts behind the scene, that most people don't see day to day, it's exhausting in its own way. I think that it's important that they, the same, ditto. Um, you find somebody that you can trust, or you learn to trust someone, and it may not work out in the end. It's just like a marriage, it should be a marriage. And it could work out, there's gonna be bumps, or could, could something could happen. But she's absolutely right, you, you gotta, um, artists, the artists that I've worked with over the years, love me and always would request me to come somewhere when they're on tour because they know that I'm a musician. So they felt a 
a kinship there and they could talk to me and they knew, it wasn't that they trusted me as a businessman, but they knew I would understand what they were talking about when they expressed desires of what they thought they needed to do. Um, and I would always tell them that no free rides. You know, yeah, you didn't get your, you know, you didn't get what you thought you were gonna get, but what else did you get? Okay, so there are no free rides. You're gonna either pay now or you're gonna pay later. So you need somebody to be able to explain that to you as the artist, and so you can do what you do best, your art. Right, uh, and yeah, we, it sounds like the common thread here is we have to know how to manage, uh, we need to know how to make money, perhaps work with a team, uh, and how to manage that money, and understand what that team is doing so that we can trust them and so that we don't get ripped off and so that we can make sure that everything uh, is above board. So I, I was talking to a, 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 a lawyer this morning with a, um, and he was talking to an artist that had me a three-way and it was the, um, the lawyer was, this artist was saying, well, should I sign this contract? Uh, it was an all-in deal and they were gonna give him, guarantee her actually, so much money over the next 10 months. And you know, she wanted to know whether, you know, she should take the deal. And the lawyer started talking, he was obviously steep in finances. And he started telling her how, well, you gotta talk to uh, your financial advisor and see how it looks for you for the next 10 months. And the market is this and the market is that. And I'm thinking, oh shit, you know, this guy's doing a course in the stock market. This poor woman just wants to know whether or not she should sign this deal. But what he was telling her, she didn't comprehend, but it was everything. I mean, you know, that, that, that goes back to emotional intelligence, knowing how to communicate to somebody, and this guy wasn't doing it. But he was doing what he was saying was totally correct and true. He wanted her to amortize how much it's gonna cost her to live over the next 10 months, whether this money that she was gonna be receiving was gonna be enough, where could she put that money to basically get the highest return on it, which is what you need to do. But as an artist, that's really, really hard. The lady was crying by the time this guy hung up, you know, and I'm like, oh shit, you know? And it cost me $150 for her to talk to this guy. But that's, that's how deep and steep it is. That, and, and it really is that. And you can parlay that, not just in the finances, social media, TikTok, people look at TikTok. Do you know how much money these people make who are putting up these silly ass videos? They make money doing this. They make lots of money, you know? I mean, YouTube, of course, this should be a known fact. There are $10 million clubs in YouTube. There are influencers who make $10 million influencers who make millions of dollars putting up this silly shit, you know? And um, th there's so many revenue streams that as artists and as creative people, we have to understand that they're there. So my wrap-up question would be, what advice do you have for these folks going forward, both overall in their career? And you know, AMP is largely about uh, the students running their own class, running that organization. What do you have, uh, what, do you, what advice do you have for them to move AMP forward and their career forward? Final thoughts?
thoughts and advice? I didn't finish my, I went to grad school here and I taught at the same time and I didn't get my degree because I failed accounting. <laughs> and I did just, I did not want to take it over. Back then, um, I forget, it was Suver or Steinberg just forced me to do it. But that is so important to be able to know where your money's coming from and where it's going and what to do with it, you know? So you gotta understand the finances. As an artist, it's gonna be hard. So you need somebody that you can trust or a, a, a mate that's gonna help you do it. It's the only way that you can really reach that, that pinnacle of success.